They say every thousand years there comes a bird of myth to challenge our perception of who, what, where, why, and with. All that legend's not me. Don't worry about it, man. It ain't old Fat Cap Smith. It's Jonathan Livingston sales goal, bitch. The bird of salesmanship. He flies like the jizz flies when that shit's externally popped. He just bring you all some savings, man. That bird, he only wants you to shop. The bird soars over every nation's borders, man. Bird, this big can't be stopped because this bird is going to fly you around the world to wherever a live Smodco show drops. Let me testify for the bird for a minute, man. I was blind. The bird gave me sight. I was scrawny weakling. The bird made me fat and powerful. Now I just want to get back to the bird. And since child sacrifice and burnt offerings are illegal in this country, freedom of religion, my ass, we offered the bird some money, man. Writ large across a melancholy sky full of peanut butter. Oh, the bird of salesmanship's flying, children. Look up! He's flying some savings over your fucking head, man. He wants you to reach up and grab for him, man. Bird's a giver, man. Bird's like some really good weed. Or a blowjob so good it makes you think you're in love. Oh, yeah, I know you've had one of those. Bird's thinking about it. Her name was Susan. Bird was pretty sure they'd get married. Only because the blowjob is that powerful. That's what the bird, that's where the bird learned his very craft, man. He's heartbroken. It's where we learn things in life, man. From the pain that others inflict on us. It's a lesson the bird wants to teach you, man. Uh, let me ask you this. You want to go to a fucking Smodco show? You better, after listening to all this chatter. Uh, we're going to send you, man. Well, we're not going to send you. That would require us paying. But you could go. I'm going to tell you where they all are, man. All the live Smodco shows. You listen to all this shit for free on Smodcast.com. How you pay us back, you ask? Like I'm sure you're always asking. Why you pick up a ticket for a live Smodco show? You could come see us do our thing live. You can listen to it for free online. But you could be right there in the room. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Hollywood Babylon. Uh, Smodcast. Uh, all myriad of shows. The Secret Stash, as we'll hear later on. But let's get to it, man. Because we're on the second round of the bird music. And I know that irritates people. Fuck them. I'll send the bird after him. Bird's like a goddamn golem. You tell him who you want dead. And I'm not going to say the bird does it, but I'm going to say people wind up fucking dead when the bird's not happy. Soul dead, not physically dead. You don't want to scare any children out there. Um, but when you're soul dead, kids, you might as well be fucking physically dead. Soul is your essence, your life. Bird knows this. Bird caters to that soul. And he caters to your funny bone. Bird wants to tickle it with his beak, man, while he takes your money. Takes your money with his beak, puts it under his wing, and then tickles you with his beak. It's a, it's a process, man. The process happens this Friday, October 12th. Man, you want to come see... The Comic Book Men crew at New York Comic Con. That's right. October 12th, 245 to 345. We got a panel. It's me. It's Walt. It's Bry. It's Ming. It's Mike. It's the Comic Book Men, man. Right there at New York Comic Con. And we're going to be showing you some clips, man. It's a five-minute sizzle reel. It's pretty damn funny. I watched it. Uh, and then Q&A with the boys. Oh, what merry times they're going to be. But it's only an hour, man. 1245, 345. What if you're like... I'm going to be at some other fucking panel. Nerdist, man. I can't go to you. Nerdist is happening. Well, guess what? You can see us again at night. Man, when shit gets sexy, right, bird? Tops come off. 
People walk out around without pants on and shit. I must be walking, thrusting my dick like this. If I get fucked, it's my own fault. Uh, check it out, man. Gramercy Theater that night, October 12th. The Secret Stash Live. Very first time we're doing that. Smodco Podcast Live. It was our companion podcast to the Comic Book Men's Show. Come see it live right there on stage at the Gramercy. Tickets at csmod.com. Night after that, man, I'm going to Boston, you massholes. I'm going to be on the stage by myself, standing there doing an evening with Kev Smith, Q&A. 9.45 at night. It's only two hours, man. We'll be out of there by midnight or something. Good times. Good times. Ask me anything. It's like a Reddit ask me anything, except it's happening in real fucking life. Real time, right in front of you and shit. Night after that, don't forget Comic Book Men coming back to the air, season two. Uh, October 14th, right after the Walking Dead and the Talking Dead, man. Then you got yourselves the Squawking Dead. Squawking Dead of Jane Silent Bob Secret Stash and Comic Book Men. October 14th, 11.30 at night. That's right, this season we're a late night show, man, 11.30. Uh, check it out, it's good. First episode is really fucking funny. I, I'll be honest with you, every episode I've seen is really fucking funny, but I'm biased, I like those guys quite a bit. October 16th, man. Answers the age-old question. People be going, where the fuck is Jay and Silent Bob get old? Did Muse fall off the wagon? No, absolutely not. In fact, Muse went and did a directing job, which I'm sure we'll tell you about next time we do a show. We just haven't had a live show schedule. We ran out of bank shows, man. But October 16th, we rectify that. Silver Spring, Maryland. You can be my man. Uh, Welsh witch like a motherfucker. The uh, Silver Spring, Maryland show, man, it's like a hop, skip, and jump from Washington, D.C. So if you're in the nation's capital, in fact, if you're Barack Obama, come see our fucking show. 8 p.m., Silver Spring, Maryland, man. Jay and Silent Bob are going to get old as motherfuckers at the Fillmore right near Washington, D.C. Tickets available at csmod.com, S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. October 19th, the bird's going to fly us right back, me and Jay, right back to Los Angeles, on his back, first class and shit. No bird going to tell me to buy two fucking seats or anything like that. He's going to take us home to Los Angeles. We're going to do Jay and Silent Bob get old right there at the Love. It's 10 p.m. Next night, October 20th, bird going to fly me and Ralph to Vegas, and we're going to do Hollywood Babylon at the Tropicana, man, at the Laugh Factory. October 20th, tickets available at csmod.com. Yes, that's right, Bird. I always got a plug. October 27th, uh, you get a double blast of Ralph and me and Hollywood Babylon-type action at the Lovitz, man. There's two shows. Two, two, two shows, man. 8 p.m., Hollywood Babylon. And 10 p.m., stick around, man. We're going to do Babylon Comic-Con Theater. 10 p.m., Ralph going to perform Cacophony 3. Batman Cacophony 3. That's right, man. He gives it hard, man. Ralph's good up there. Come see it. Two shows, October 27th. Come at 8 o'clock for the first show. Stick around at 10 o'clock for the next show. Uh, in November, I'm heading your way. Buffalo, Connecticut. I like to say Connecticut because there's C in there. South Carolina, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, man. Y'all get shows in November. Go to csmod.com for details. Good times to be had with the Smodco crew. Brand new free podcast that I'm in this week from Smodcast.com. New Smodcast with Moj, the end of the Emo Kev saga. New Babylon, Babylon 100 from Reno. New Fat Man on Batman, Diedrich Bader from Brave and the Bold, part two. And new Smoothie Makers, uh, part one with Scott Derrickson from Sinister, only at Smodcast.com.
Hey, this is Jack Morrissey welcoming, welcoming you to another episode of Team Jack. Uh, this episode is titled Prometheus, although we have absolutely no idea what episode number this is, as we are actually recording this on uh, Friday, September 14th, and then we're going to uh, put it in the vault, in Matt Cohen's vault, where he keeps all of his drugs. Um, keep those in my pocket. I keep my toys in my vault. The important things. Your Fifty Shades toys. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, my Christian Grey standy. <laughs> um, so, uh, honestly, I mean, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not the most thorough guy with my Twitter, as the 29 women on Team Jack will attest, but my sense of it is that we've had more requests for uh, our episode guest today, obviously, Charlie de Rica, to come back and um, pick up the Prometheus uh, conversation that we sort of started in bits and pieces in our first episode uh, recorded with Charlie, which was episode number, I have no fucking clue. So um, we'll, we'll have an episode guide for it at some point, though, because... Three of the women are making those up, and they're fucking amazing. Um, so, uh, people who are people who are interested, based on what they hear today, um, will will and should uh, go back and listen to uh, Charlie's first appearance here on the show. Anyway, um, I remember that episode was called Crave. It was called Crave, yeah, which is perfect. Perfect that we pick up right where we more or less left off in that episode. Uh, Crave is the title of your. Um, debut feature film uh, as a director and uh, a writer and uh, why don't you tell us what's happened in the I'm thinking we recorded that episode maybe a month before San Diego Comic Con uh, yeah right? a few weeks three weeks or so yeah yeah so uh, we're in September now what's happened since July with your movie and how has the ride been the ride has been pretty uh, surprisingly great. I mean, um, Comic-Con went amazingly well. We got a really good response at the Hall H panel we did right. and the, the trailer and the clip we showed. Uh, did some press down there. But then that was leading up to the world premiere, which was at Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal. Right. And uh, the reaction there was way, way beyond what I was even hoping for in my wildest dreams. I mean, we had a very positive reaction, sold out, standing room only in the theater. How many seats? Um, I have no idea. I suck. At, <laughs> I really suck at going into a theater and clocking how many seats. Right. It wasn't the biggest theater. It was like a medium-sized theater, but which was it was nice for us promotionally because we could say it's sold out. Of course. Um, but uh, it, but it was a great audience. It was like it felt like a, like this massive packed house because the energy level in the theater was so high. Right. Um, right. But then we started getting really great reviews. Like pretty much every review I've read has been very, very positive and very encouraging. Because I, I was, I was kind of afraid to show the movie for a while, you know. And now right. that it's kind of out, I've gotten my, you know, my uh, confidence levels up a little bit. So, right. um, so, and, and then we actually on the way out of there, when I was leaving Montreal, I found out uh, Crave won Best First Feature Film at, at their awards. So Incredible. I was like, wow, that was a big, you know, surprise as well. Now so, we're. Charlie, you were most of the reviews to this point have been online geek websites. Well, Variety reviewed it. Fangoria so you did get, reviewed you it. You did get your trade reviews out of. We got, we got Variety, and and then from there it's like Fangoria and Wizard World, and yeah, right. then it gets geeky. But it was all really, really good. I mean, even the Variety, variety review. Was great. The Variety review it was it was interesting because I mean it's it's really hard. It? Justin or Peter? Uh, John Anderson. 
Okay, so it's very, it, it, very thoughtful review. Just really hard to get a pull quote out of it because it's, it's very right. you know it's not uh, prone to hyperbole. It's just right. about business, business. Yeah, uh, but it was a positive review, so that was good. Um, That's great. Everyone, everyone who reads the trades tell me you have told me that for a variety of reviews, it was positive. So I'll, I'll take that. As That's a great. That's great. Congratulations, um, dude. Thanks. But uh, I but, don't read. <laughs> we get it on the. Um, we get it on the sidewalk every morning. Got it. I take the rubber band and the plastic bag off. That's as far as I go. I don't read. Re- I don't right. read reviews. Um, so that was you know it was, again it was a good start. So out of that, it'll be fine. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's a leaf blower. Welcome to Southern California. Yeah, um, <laughs> it'll move off quickly. But out of that came all these other invitations and acceptances to other festivals. So right. now we're about to next week, a week from tomorrow, as we record this. Uh, we're going to have the U.S. premiere at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas, which is okay. going to be amazing. I can't wait to go. I leave Thursday for that. Right. And we'll screen down there twice. Then I go to Calgary. Then I go to Barcelona for Sieges for the European premiere. Right. Then I go to Toronto after dark. Insane. It's great. I mean, just like the, the, the reaction at Fantasia opened up all these doors and you know, right. got people excited about it. Right. And I've been getting distribution offers and inquiries and things. So, you know, it's, it's going really well. Oh, uh, hopefully by, by Sieges, I'm hoping to start closing deals uh, of some kind on distribution. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so, so far so great, you know, I got to say. I'm really That's happy with so it. so awesome. Yeah. Um, and how about these frequent flyer miles that you're racking up? <laughs> Well, fortunately, uh, the, the festivals fly me out for a, a lot of these. Uh, sometimes I'm flying myself in between right. hops, but um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of flying to do this next month or so. I'm going to be traveling all over the place, it's and crazy. then I'm, I'm rather ridiculously going from Toronto to London right. to see Skyfall with uh, Rob Burnett Rob and Burnett. some other geeks. Right, right. <laughs> because because they get Skyfall like two or three weeks ahead of us in the states. They do, although not quite, as Rob has explained to me via Facebook, not quite on the 50th anniversary of the opening of Dr. No, which I think is October 5th or 6th. Yeah. And maybe, I don't even know that that, was, that that anniversary commemorates the North American opening or maybe the UK opening, who knows. But again, I think it's we're, like, we're they must be really still under the gun with that movie if they well, can't release it two weeks early to release it on that anniversary date you know what i mean i think yeah we've often we've it opens a week before twilight over here and twilight being twilight we've wondered like why are they a week before you know and the best that we the best that we can surmise is there must be some conventional wisdom that when you're in election season here in north america it's like you just don't open you don't open movies in the last week or two before an election because bit, the overall box office might be down or whatever. I mean, that could be. I mean, that, that's like why, why are they, they opening early in the UK? Well, that's we why they. they do that's why they opened Prometheus. They opened Prometheus early uh, because of like it was like the World Cup or something, and the Olympics kicked in. So right. they were all jockeying release schedules around sports, you right? Know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I worked. I, I produced the DVD for Dying of the Day, and I remember that was you know uh, down to the wire. I mean, not like. Crazy yeah. down to the wire. I mean, they they yeah. knew what they were doing, but I mean, I right. remember like even as late as right before the release, we we're still de- still dealing with like very temp black and white elements of the film and things like that. But right. that's that's pretty common on any new release, you know. There was a rumor uh, that I read about a week, I think only a week ago that, um, and I think again, that's like I, if it's a Skyfall rumor, chances are I've read it on Rob Burnett's Facebook page that um, 
there's an incredibly positive review that somebody had read, I think on probably in the IMDb user comments for Skyfall, but they noted that the movie was three hours long. And I was like, really? That can't be true. Well, it is the longest Bond film, I believe. But here's what I've heard. So I go to a friend of mine at Sony and say, true or false? And he comes back and he says, no. And it's unclear whether or not this number includes, you know, titles. But it's like, no, it's about 216, right? But here's the interesting thing. He said, we still don't have the movie here. Right. It's completely over in the UK. They haven't released it. So, um I uh, know it's just interesting. Yeah, what's a what's the standard runtime for a Bond movie? Hour forty five, two hours. Uh, I think they get up to around the two hour mark usually. I mean, it's interesting because pr- previously uh, Casino Royale was the longest right. uh, Bond film, and the shortest was Quantum of Solace. So, like back to back, you had the longest oh, and funny. the shortest. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, you could almost argue that Quantum of Solace is almost like the fourth and fifth act to a five act movie, which really is just Casino Royale. Well, that's why yeah. I was just going to ask you. It's like if if you were the thing about Skyfall, and we're obviously, you know, we've veered wildly off the reservation to, by this point, but the thing about Skyfall is it is a true fresh start in that Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace, the two Daniel Craig Bond movies that exist to this point, are really one long story that concern his ex-girlfriend or something who was murdered, right? Well, a, v- a Vesper, you yeah. know, who he falls in love with in Casino Royale, you know, right. she obviously meets her demise, and then he's dealing with the, the wreckage of that in right, the, okay. kind of the end of Casino and then leading into Quantum. But having nothing to do with Skyfall. Right. So, so, so Skyfall's like a fresh start. You don't need to watch Casino Royale or Quantum before going I, to see Skyfall. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I'm trying to stay spoiler-free. Rob dropped a huge spoiler on me yesterday, which I was not happy about, so I'm trying to Did like... Did it involve death? Yeah. Well retroactively yes yeah we'll stop i mean there. i think this whole movie thematically seems to be dealing with death and resurrection yeah you can tell from just the dialogue sure. that they're choosing to use in the trailer and sure. materials and stuff but anyway so um feels a little weird like uh, this is so not the team jack thing usually as as you know we pull these out of our ass on a weekly basis but um and you've seen plenty of evidence of that this week but um, if, so it feels a little weird to be saying this now because it feels like I shouldn't be saying it because we've just watched about two hours of shit that I'm not allowed to have seen or well technically I am allowed to have seen but I'm not allowed to well, discuss it with anybody right you can't talk about it in the real world at the moment for a long for right. a, a month right you know but this yeah. broadcast in the future exactly taxi exactly. particles or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well I'm dreaming right um but uh, needless to say, um, we've talked about, I think Prometheus has come up across a number of, of um, episodes since I saw it. Uh, I saw it for the first time in 2D with um, my friend Mike Enriquez, and then I saw it a second time in 3D IMAX with uh, Bill Condon, and I went pretty crazy for it right off the bat. Um in the first viewing, and then when I went and uh, cried, as we talked about, um, I, twice, I think. I know. You were baffled by that. Yeah. Um, and do you remember what scenes again? Cause I, I remember I, the second... I remember the second scene clearly, and I'm just trying to think what the first scene was. And I think they were both in, in the third act of the movie. But uh, interestingly, so then maybe three weeks later, I go for, the, for that 3D IMAX viewing with Condon, cried again, twice. Um, with him definitely the scene and hopefully you know 
Um, again, if you're even listening to this podcast, hopefully you've watched the feature by this point because uh, this thing is, we're just going to be full of um, spoilers, deacons, trilobites, and various other forms of alien spoilers. Um, the scene where uh, Numi Rapace, is that how you pronounce her name? Rapace. Numi Rapace, Rapace yeah. Shaw. Talks to Michael Fassbender's David about why she has to go off and pursue the course sort of of the engineers, why she needs to find out more about the engineers. And the dialogue is something to the effect of if they wanted to destroy us, having created us, I need to, I need to know why. I deserve to know why. And that great uh, sort of discovery theme that Harry Gregson Williams wrote Mm -hmm. for the score I think comes up under that and then shortly thereafter you're seeing the what I only learned today is actually referred to as the juggernaut um, race off with the two of them on board and it's like I I thought that was like the most emotional certainly it's the only time I've cried in a movie theater this year it's the most emotional thing I've seen there's something just about that again it's sort of about like so much of what constitutes great science fiction is discovery and wanting to know more and um the essential humanity in that is the front door hey eric is the front door open well anyway um so um so anyway needless to say uh the release of this podcast coincides with the street date for the blu-ray and dvd release uh, for which Charlie has produced, directed, written. I don't know what you say. I, I don't, what, I don't you know what to say it with. Um, and I'm sure you've you've cut chunks of this yourself. No, I mean I. Or has it all been edited by? No, it's been edited by, by by a few editors that I've obviously I've worked with. You sure, know, like over course. their shoulder. But I mean, uh, I, I did actually write a lot of cool stuff. Uh, that's embedded in the menus on the on the disc. I mean, there's okay. actually a lot of sort of interactive-y right. type stuff uh, that's fun. Um, for instance, there's this one section called the Peter Wayland Files, where we uh, we show the uncut long versions of those those viral clips that went out, like the David right. clip and the right. the the Shaw right. clip and all that. Um, so there's four of those, right? And these are like the long, complete, uncut versions, which are I think pretty immaculately presented. Yeah, they're beautiful. This format, they is, so you don't have to keep going to YouTube to Correct. watch them and no, hope that the user doesn't delete their account and pull right. them down or whatnot. Right? No, they're HD. They're beautiful. That's great. Uncut. And um, so the 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 framework of that is basically you're kind of accessing uh, Wayland's browsing history, like right before he left on the mission. <laughs> right. And these are like the, the four clips that he saw before he left to kind of refresh his memory or to do a little research before the trip. Wow. And and so I wrote these little, uh, these journal entries from Wayland that kind of go with each one of these four clips. Right. Um, so he just does a little commentary on each one. Wow. So like there's a lot of fun stuff like that that I wrote. But for the most totally. part, I, I directed and produced and, and shot a lot of you stuff. But you structure, you title... You figure out how the information is going to be organized, which is all yeah. writing. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a new form of writing because there's, yeah. there's there's been this argument a lot recently. I, I've been reading about uh, documentary filmmakers getting a writing credit, 
Right. And, uh, and yeah, it is, a, it's, it is a different kind of writing. I mean, you're still finding the structure. You're still asking the questions when you're doing the interview. I mean, right. that's, you have to write the questions, to, whether it's on paper or in your head. Exactly. You're still formulating a narrative spine for the exactly. doc. Exactly. And, and so, yeah, it's writing, quote unquote, but is it WGA writing? That, who cares? Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, this, this project I was really more immersed on than I have been in a long time. I mean, probably since Blade Runner. Um, Right. Because, first of all... You, in 60 seconds or less, just yeah. for people who haven't listened to episode one, yeah, or I should say... The last first episode. First episode yeah. in which you appeared. Right. Just recap, uh, you know, very briefly, the Blade Runner uh, scholarship. <laughs> well, you, you uh, Charlie Blade, is... Blade Runner and briefly in the same sentence. Well, no. Over uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Charlie is Ridley Scott's DVD producer amongst and produces DVD, DVDs and DVD documentaries added value special features for many, many other directors, including Michael Bay. Uh, yeah, just, uh, I've been doing stuff with Mark Webb recently. Added Sp- right, so amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man. Um, you know, sad to say, Tony Scott, um, yes. you know, that was exactly, you know, tragic. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's been a long, I've been doing this for 14 years, uh, you know, creating various facets and, versions of the behind the scenes experience whether it's right. a documentary or interactive or right. commentaries or whatever it is charlie produced the alien quadrilogy mm-hmm. um now known as the alien anthology yes exactly uh, much better set by the way the blu-ray set um but yeah like a lot of ridley's big stuff uh, big discs like kingdom of heaven and black hawk down and gladiator gladiator thumb and louise um right and uh and I also did Twin Peaks and uh the Gold Box set and um right. Spider Man two, now I'm back, Amazing Spider Man. So just right. yeah, it's been a it's been a very, a very interesting side career, you know. Totally and, um that's gone on for fourteen years and it's you know And bought you a beautiful house in the Hollywood Hills, let's just say. No comment. Uh, <laughs> not as nice as the house I'm in right now, but Yeah, uh, whatever. Um getting there. So uh from the unbelievable amount of work uh, that you have done on Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, um, which, which is by the way, was probably like, one of the top five most famous Blu-ray DVD releases of all time. You would have to say in terms of the sheer volume of content. I mean, I, I'm not going to self-rank myself, or yeah, you don't compare, have to log com- roll. Com- That's what I'm compare here myself for. to somebody else. But I, mean, I would say that uh, in terms of the projects I've done, it's definitely been one of the most sort of fan oriented uh and uh passionate right. projects i've ever worked on in terms of like right. my total emotional immersion in the project i mean i, I was just into that thing for right. years literally right. what's your favorite film of all time right yeah so it was very easy to get up every morning and just go crazy on blade runner mm-hmm. um but in terms of prometheus what's interesting is that you know it's ridley's grand return to science fiction after 30 years correct right with blade runner being his previous science fiction film before prometheus so and alien before that and alien for, before that again, and that was it i mean he made he made two science fiction films that i think a lot of people would consider to be amongst the top science fiction films ever created. ever made yeah in the hundred year history of the right medium. so i mean he was batting a thousand before he went to prometheus so come yeah. so from my point of view i was thinking this is going to be above and beyond the usual job which is to document as much as i possibly can correct this is this is one to go sick on and go get crazy about and just completely you know take me off the leash and let me go 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 which fox did now not do it correct i mean however many years after blade runner that's right however many years after alien well all right so i had had this interesting moment 
it was 2005, I think it was, and I was in Spain on the set of Kingdom of Heaven. Right. Maybe 2004, actually. And then um, we were in this really beautiful kind of Moorish castle, and and I had shot the hell out of this day. I mean, I'd shot every angle, every actor. I mean, I had nothing more to shoot. Right. And I just started like staring down at the cracks, like the beautiful tile cracks in, in the ground. Right. Thinking, now, if this was the set of Blade Runner, would I stop shooting? Or if this was right. a set of Alien, would I stop shooting? No. Right. I would have been. I would have kept shooting and shooting and shooting. Yeah. So I literally, in that moment, picked up the camera again, and I found something else to shoot on Kingdom of Heaven. Right. So it was like that sort of mindset of, you know, if I had a time machine to go back to 1979 or 1982 and cover Alien or Blade Runner, of course. now I've got the chance to do it. Right. So on Prometheus, I went nuts right. covering everything I possibly could. Right. And, uh, you know, I think there's like seven terabytes worth of behind-the-scenes footage. It's unbelievable. It's drive. 11 hours of... Well, the, and the final product on the disc, there's right. about 11 hours of content. I mean, they're 11 saying hours of, 11 hours seven, of content, not they're including saying the seven feature. video content. Uh, and then there's like four hours worth of commentaries. So it's 11 yeah. all told. And, and by, but it'll probably take you many, many more hours than that because of the galleries. Like there's, there's just thousands and thousands of images in the galleries, which will take you days to go through. Right. You know? Right. It's incredible. This is a weird question, but... I- and I'm sure it differs from film to film, but is it typically a purely studio decision to pack a DVD with features, or is it a combination of the filmmaker? Because it just seems like nowadays in a Netflix world, there's hardly features on DVDs mm-hmm. anymore. And it stops me from buying this Or not the lot. DVDs that they're sending you from Netflix, that's for sure. Well, I don't even mean that. I mean, if you go to... Not the edition. You go to Best Buy and you look at the new releases, like a large majority of the new releases now have like a trailer, a blooper. They have like 15 minutes worth of features, maybe 20 minutes. Whereas there was a time in the early aughts, let's call it, where like everything was like a double disc, right. special notebook. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's tough because there's a lot of considerations that you have to think about. And that is the studio. Yes. I mean, they obviously have, they have a major say, you know, they have the final say, frankly, but so they have to pay for they it. They have to pay for it and they have to release it and they have to deal with the consequences of that decision. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. But then you're dealing with certain directors who have, you know, the clout to, you know, make their opinions known and kind of like express their wishes. And the studios, by and large, I think, are open to that discussion. Um, they may not give them everything, but they, I mean, I, it's not like they, they automatically say, no, no way, we're going to sure. dump this thing out. I mean, there is a conversation to be had. Sure. Um, but certainly the bigger the director, the, the better the chance of there being whatever the, that director wants. It could be the other way, which is a big director says, I want nothing on my disc. It, I don't think there's a, has there ever been a Scorsese commentary? I don't think so. Like, there's a few, or Spielberg. Spielberg rarely, doesn't do commentaries. Doesn't do commentaries. Yeah, like, right. There's there's a few directors who seem so big that they don't do anything. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they seem to be into certain types of extras, but like commentaries is like no fly zone for, for Spielberg for sure. Um, but it, yeah, it, it really all depends on the director. That's kind of where the conversation begins. Then it's sort of a conversation of well, how much is it going to cost? What's the scope of this? Uh, and then what is interesting about this particular movie that has not been done a million times before on other right. movies? Right. And in the case of something like Prometheus, that is the story. It's like, this is Ridley Scott's return to science fiction. He's actually building a new world that we've not many really seen worlds. before. Many new worlds. And it's just like, this is something worth covering. And what's the audience for it? And, you know, science fiction fans tend to be you know, very loyal buyers of special editions and extra loaded discs. And right. they like knickknacks and toys and the stuff on their shelf. Right. And this is another version of that. They're you know? men 
they like they like to buy DVDs and Blu-rays, right. and they like their DVDs and Blu-rays to come loaded up like a fully baked potato. Correct, and they like to watch the stuff and every little scrap of it, and see every deleted scene yeah. and every clip and everything. Before you I even watch the movie, I, I would I watch every single special feature on if I've already seen the film at least. Like, well, yeah. I, I hope so. I hope you've seen the film first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's funny. Huh. All right, cool. Um, very early on, it was just a given then, given that it's it's not just Ridley Scott returning to the genre of science fiction, but it's Ridley Scott returning to the Alien franchise at Fox, who owns the Alien franchise. So there's really, one presumes, very quickly everybody understood the need for extensive and meticulous document documentation of this event and just put into place very quickly what the the scope of coverage would be. Right. Correct? Well, yeah. And and to be honest, I think I went way, way beyond what Fox was asking for. Right. And and my thought was, even if they don't want it now, they're going to want it five, Eventually. ten years, twenty years from now. Because yeah. in doing the Alien Anthology set or even Blade Runner, where they weren't thinking about that back 30 years ago plus. Right, right. Um, you know, nowadays it's very easy for uh, a studio executive to say very reasonably, so, well, we don't need every single day covered. We don't need every single aspect yeah. shot. Yeah. Um, and most studio executives or home video executives say that about every movie. Sure. And it's like, I get it because, yeah. you know, they're dealing with so much content. Yeah. And, and it is things, expensive. It, is, it, it adds up, you know. Yeah. And I frankly, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but I chose to kind of eat it a bit on this one and just right. shoot like crazy. I mean, I over delivered on this big time. Right. right. And I thought that was fine because frankly, now down the road, whether it's me or some of the documentarian or whatever, they now have an archive of material to pull from right. that is now preserved because once you lose it, it's gone forever. Yep. If you don't shoot it, you're never going to get it again. Yep. So I felt like this one was worth it, you know, frankly, to be there every day and just kind of be with the camera and just geek out and just shoot as much as I possibly can thinking right. that if we don't use it now, it'll be there for someone else to use or for myself to use or whatever down the road. Right. You know, so right. but it, 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 it's interesting because there is always that thought of how much is too much, you sure. know, how, how much will people really, really want to watch. And in terms of Prometheus, it became an interesting animal onto itself because the making of it was changing in real time. I mean, it wasn't, you know, as, as we've discussed earlier off mic was that, you know, it started as an alien prequel, like a true straight right. up alien prequel. Right. And then it became Prometheus. And I had already been shooting behind the scenes material when right. it was a true alien prequel. Right. So even before my own camera, it was evolving into something else. Right. And then the film was made and then it came out and that took on a whole new evolution because of the, the fan reaction. Right. You know, it was a very divisive, very controversial film, a lot of arguments about it. Right. And that suddenly, you know that colored our making of story to some degree, not entirely, but right. There are there are sections of the documentary and the and the pods that we've done that address the fan reaction to the film because that was the great thing about this sort of you know real time feedback from from like message boards and just sure. you know watching the chatter online was sure. we could address that somewhat. I mean, we'd have a lot of time because by the time that that stuff's hitting, we were already deep into editorial on sure. what we're going to do, but. We do have enough time where we can say, "Oh, that's become a, a hot topic. Let's work that in." You know? Right. Um, so that the whole Prometheus, the post-release phenomenon of Prometheus, was actually really great to have it be so strong, right? And so clearly, you know, uh, conversational in terms of like people were either passionately against this film or passionately for it. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I had a you know, I, I tell everybody this, but like, I went to go see the Avengers, and we come out. Do you need to get that? 
No. Okay. <laughs> this pause? is Friday's at the house, and this is the only day, the only day that we could record this. You motioned for someone to get the door in the other room. That was room, a forced gesture. But they couldn't see you, and they did it. That was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That was some Jedi shit, Jack. What's up? Um, so, so go to see the Avengers, basically, with some friends. Had a great time. Come out of it. We're in the lobby saying, wow, that was a really fun movie. And, we're, you know, we spent like a good five minutes talking about how much fun the movie was. Right. And then we're like, so we're going to eat. And where'd you park? And you want to get a drink? I mean, then and, and life continues on. Disposable pop culture. I wouldn't call it disposable, but I would say that we it, it's a very clean experience. It's like you go in the Avengers, you get what you want, and then, you know, you know which, what you, you, what's going on over there, Jack? Your salad has arrived. <laughs> Do you need the uh, credit card, Eric? Is it all good? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love this like meta. Charlie, well, now this will be a first in uh, 40-something episodes. Our um, episode guest will now be served his lunch wow. on mic. No, probably not a good idea. Why not? You want to make people instantly nauseous? Eat on a microphone. That's something I've learned in years of podcasting. Charlie is a skilled professional. I can, I can move the mic Jack, All right, Jack yeah. starts talking. That's yeah, the, when I start when I start like off the, on a monologue. That's yeah. the one consistent negative I've ever got. People are like, dude, if you ever eat a microphone again, I'm going to throw up. Like, really? Because it, it's just really loud. <laughs> now you know. I, uh, now I know. <laughs> well, it's funny because on the uh, the first Alien commentary track on the 99 release, which I did not record, okay. uh, the guys who did... Uh, allowed Ridley to do his commentary with a cigar because he used to smoke cigars. Okay. That didn't, that didn't record very well. Really? Um, now, I'm sure Ridley insisted on having cigars, so it's like I don't blame them for yeah. ordering him not to smoke. But, I mean, he, he, uh, yeah, he, he basically was chewing his way through that commentary because he had a stogie <laughs> the whole time. Um, okay, so, so... anyway, I'm sorry. My whole, so, my whole no, point about Avengers, the Avengers was great, great movie, fun, where do you want to eat? But, but you get it. It's like yeah. you, you, there's, there's really not much to debate out of the Avengers right. because it's such a right. clean form of entertainment. Right. I remember I went... I went to go see Prometheus. I'd already seen it like six times, different cuts of it. But I went well, to the uh, the cast and crew screen over at or the uh, whatever screen I had at Fox, and that got out at, at like eleven. And then I remember, oh, I have a bunch of friends who are going to the midnight show at the Dome, so I'm going to go meet them afterwards and hang out just to get their reaction. Right. Right. So I'm at the Dome and it's like two in the morning, whatever. Right. And they come out and people are in the streets on sun on Sunset Boulevard arguing. Until like three three thirty in the morning, the lights are turned off at the, wow. the arc light. Wow! It, like they are shut down, and there wow. there's like a mob of people still arguing about the film right into the morning. And I thought right. that's very interesting because even if they hate the film, it's like they're talking about the film. And that means that right. it's probably going to give it a life beyond what anyone's expecting it to have. You know, much like the trailer for the Muslim film on YouTube <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that incited. Well. <laughs> but I mean, it's the power of movies. Yeah. On the one end, or on the one end of the spectrum, it can be a completely passive um, night at the movies that you never think about again in your life. And on the other hand, it can be something that really uh, that takes hold in your head. Well, and the only reason I want to clarify the point is not to—I don't want to take a shot of the Avengers because I think the Avengers is actually a very entertaining film. It's People just love that, it. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I, I, I was thoroughly, uh, you know, in love with the experience of being like right. in an audience that was fully engaged with that film. Sure. But there's nothing to really argue about. Right. I know? think it's rare that... It's very straightforward. You either love it or you like it. <laughs> you know, there's, right. not, there's not like right. a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of debate to have over it. I think it. it's right. increasingly rare that films are worthy of debate, even if they're good. Like I saw, I finally saw Paranorman uh, last week. Right. 
completely fine, cute movie. I enjoyed it. I haven't Nine. thought about it once since I left the theater. And I right. have no problem with it whatsoever. I like right. it. You know what I mean? It's rare that a movie is going to make me keep talking. I mean, it seems like nowadays the, the more common thing is to, to take apart a movie. Like, like uh, Dark Knight Rises. Well, me and my friends have been talking about that for months because of all the plot holes and the ridiculousness. And you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to that seems to be the discussion now is to is to pick a movie apart as opposed to uh, discuss thoughts brought on by it. Here's the thing: I don't run in these circles anywhere near as much as I used to for whatever reason, which I mostly just attribute to, you know, getting a bit older and your social your social circle narrows, and also, frankly, you know, just a healthy um, scoop of. Um, laziness on my part but um i get the sense that uh dark night rises i mean i don't hear anybody talking about it no the only the only time me and my You're, friends, you say you you know people who are fighting over we like used, i don't no, know anybody no, no, no. Who, we use it as a joke for like bad cares. like it's become an ongoing joke like why don't you go by your christian name like there's that's right. the movie is it's become a cheesy bad movie that we used to make fun of stuff now Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. It's just, it happened really quickly, too, because everyone saw the We all saw the movie, like, on the same night, and there right. was, like, a four-hour conversation where everyone started saying they loved it, and one person would go, yeah, but what about this? <laughs> and someone would go, yeah, but what about that? And by the end of the night, all of us were like, yeah, you know what? That was fucking awful. Like, <laughs> Wow. Wow. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's too soon to tell with that and how that'll come to rest, and this is something we've talked about I think I feel repeatedly, so I don't want to go too far down the road again, but I'm always, always, always interested in, you know, and Blade Runner is, to my mind, it's such a clear example because it was a movie that, although Condon likes to correct me on this point, which is not to say that I completely um, swallow his correction, but my sense of it as a kid was nobody was into it. I was, in the summer of 82... Uh, how old was I? I was like 15 or something like that. I was all about Star Trek 2. I had to be dragged to see E.T. And then I loved E.T. I was totally down with Poltergeist. I was a little horror kid. I loved The Thing, which was a little later. But I remember sitting in the back of the same AMC in a mall in Southern Virginia watching Blade Runner for the first time. And it wasn't Star Trek 2 which I was just completely obsessed with. Um, so for my own personal experience of Blade Runner was an experience of of not being old enough to appreciate it and coming around to it later. But certainly the conventional wisdom on Blade Runner, again, whether it's true or not, the conventional wisdom on Blade Runner is that it was much maligned. It was financially unsuccessful it was critically not well received again whether that's true or false but then an appreciation on the a cover story in the Sunday Los Angeles Times magazine by Kenneth Turan the then lead critic film critic of the Los Angeles Times led to the resurrection of Blade Runner and it was basically a case of hey this movie from 1982 that we've we've all forgotten about that's actually kind of great now, again, whether that's true or false, that's just the conventional take on that. I'm always interested in how things are coming, how things are going to come to rest and ultimately Legacy. who's yeah. going to be. But and someone will be right again. It's sort of like now I know 
I've had this con- this is like I've had this conversation shit probably 50 times with friends most of them most if not all of them guys where you go like you talk about Blade Runners the example of it where basically it's like yeah and the other thing is Blade Runners is sometimes boring yeah but it's great yeah but it's boring yeah but it doesn't matter that it's that you find it boring because it's fucking Blade Runner and it and it looks down at you like the monolith on the fucking moon, you know? Basically, that movie now has it has achieved a position that is unimpeachable, right? And not a lot of movies do that. And even it's, it's interesting, I think when you look at the top of the the um highest grossing movie list in unadjusted dollars where now sits uh, the Avengers, Avatar, Titanic, you know, a- Avatar and Titanic. Titanic is a movie that I instantly heard people flipping on instantly. I mean, you know, when you saw it on HBO, you were like, this is, people were like, this is kind of terrible, isn't it? And I don't know one person before Avengers did ultimately just recently unseat Avatar at the top of that list, didn't it? Or has that no, not happened yet? Number three. Number three, Avengers. Number three. It's Avatar, Titanic, Titanic and Avengers. Avengers. Avengers okay. won't ever touch the other two. I don't okay. But I don't know. Avatar sits where it sits. Nobody in my life, which again is admittedly smaller than it was five years ago, and five years ago it's smaller than it was ten years nobody talks about Avatar. So anytime you, you read a story on the internet about, you know, oh, Avatar sequels being shot back to back, or, you know, producer John Landau says Avatar 4 would be another, it's like, I don't know anybody who I and again it's not like I'm not going to go and I didn't respect and admire what it was but I'm just saying in my universe I know people who talk about Walking Dead I know people who talk about Breaking Bad I know people who are obsessed with um Game of Thrones obviously this is you know the CIC for Battlestar Galactica but I don't know anybody who talks about Avatar Well I think maybe part of that has to do with those TV shows you mentioned and then maybe even a film like Blade Runner and perhaps not Prometheus is like to some degree they're either underdogs or they're in some sort of competitive combat with these other shows. It's like it's easier to argue about like a, a show that, team. that you're trying to. It's a totally sports team analogy. Yeah. It's like you you yeah. can defend Walking Dead, you can defend Prometheus, whatever. You can you can go right. into these conversations with people because it's not an overwhelming. Right. dominant force like yeah. avatar you can't argue avatar Who's made passionately defending two and a half billion dollars yeah. whatever it made you know i mean it's it's like yeah. so over the top in terms yeah. of its success it's like there's no but reason does anybody to care about it but Versus, I, I, don't, I don't think people care about it just because it's like it was a big massive entertainment yeah um, it, it still is but i mean yep. i feel like it was such a success. generally well received critically Pe- people feel that raced at the oscars it, it, they, whether it should it, or, it got it got everything it could possibly get and more so, Didn't get best picture, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, but yet here we are, less than three years from Avatar, and you're right. When was the last time someone fucking brought up Avatar in a conversation? But here's the thing: by contrast, the Dark Knight, not the Dark Knight Rises, but the Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, is to me unimpeachable. Doesn't matter, but I think it feels like it's settling into that unimpeachable position. Well, I mean, in retrospect, now especially because. It rises With to rises, didn't yeah. connect like yeah. that one did. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to Prometheus. So the interesting thing is here. Again, I just have to like you know. I mean, By the way, thank I'll, you I'll for the lunch break. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll roll this fucking log across this living room. I just have to lay it at your feet for doing the job that you've that you've done based on 
the material I've just watched uh, this afternoon on this movie and not and just and doubling down to say the least that this movie will come to rest in a position of of significance and importance that will merit and deserve the meticulousness of your approach, which is, um, you know, again, I mean, anybody listening to this, you, you're not just, you can't believe everything that's been covered in these, in these um, documentaries down to, I mean, it's all the, it's the broad canvas stuff, but with unbelievable access, access that Ridley Scott gives you, obviously based on the years of successful collaboration between the two of you, um, and the trust, the amazing trust that he affords you that, you know, Bill Condon has a great phenomenal relationship with Keith Clark. We flew to St. Louis to be in his, um, don't, don't worry about that doorbell, Mac Cohen. We flew to St. Louis to be in Keith Clark's Jedi wedding. style. But, um, but, uh, it's, uh, but, it's, it's but Bill will house. still not give Keith, Bill is not going to let Keith into rooms where meetings are being had around story like Ridley is letting you in. I mean, the, the access that you have is unfucking believable. You, uh, fully maximize those opportunities clearly. But then again, you're bringing a, uh, fetishistic level of detail to a director who himself is fetishistic in his level or in his attention to detail on everything from what have we just looked at we've looked at little pods that you uh, you should explain in a second well, in terms of how to on food <laughs> yeah on space food space food the, uh, on like the engineer's the, language the engineer's language yeah. that's based on uh IOC proto pi proto Indo European right IOC is International Olympics yes this is committee maybe correct um, um, yeah no, I mean I mean just to explain I guess sort of what you just saw I mean there's a there's a massive documentary that forms the the spine you take uh, us uh, into the, the front door to yeah. you've just and by the way here's here's the critical thing this yeah. is probably the most important thing that we'll say during during this podcast you are only going to get this shit. If you have had the good sense or have the good sense now to buy the four disc Blu-ray, mm -hmm. the four disc 3D Blu-ray, the four disc 3D Blu-ray will come fully loaded with all this content. Any, any other edition will come with less or I presume there will be a bare bones, probably Walmart um, no, edition that comes with it, nothing. It, the last I saw the configurations were is basically the DVD is the movie with some deleted scenes and some little things. Right. You know, perfectly fine. Right. Uh, then there's a three disc Blu-ray that has the feature along with all, all the synchronous content, like the commentaries. Right. And those Peter Whalen files I mentioned before. Right. Some, some other pieces. And then... Right. I think in that set also comes a DVD and a digital copy. I, I forget that. That's pretty but, much the standard thing these days, right? Yeah. And then the four disc is all of that plus the 3D disc and then the, the bonus uh, disc with all my documentaries and right. extras on it. Right. And, you know, I've already seen some chatter online of people complaining like, oh, I got to buy the three disc or sorry, I got to buy the 3D package to get the extras. And that's not the way I look at it at all. I, I look at it as you're getting the collector's edition and you're getting a free 3D DVD in it. And now they may say that's kind of a bullshit way to phrase it. But well, are, I, are I you also getting a 2D? A 2D? Yeah. 
You get you get a 2D Blu-ray. Yeah, so you get you get all the extras in HD. Yeah. Um, and then you get a 3D disc on top of that for if you ever get a 3D you know setup. But yeah, it's not like you're being forced to buy the 3D disc to get the extras. It's, it's the other way. It could be the other way around. Like you, but you're buying the extras disc and you're getting a 3D disc in the package. So right. There's there's you know hopefully that doesn't become a thing. But but let me just ask you this just for clarity. Yeah. If I buy that, if I buy this one edition, yeah. which is the 3D Blu-ray four-disc edition, yes, I get a hundred percent of everything yes. that comes in every lesser edition. Yes, so I only need to buy one you, ultimate edition. You don't get the standard def version of the film. Oh, fuck <laughs> which, me! Why would you want that? God damn it! Um, because I actually, like no, I take that back. I, my I, tube I, television. No, no, I, I take that back. I think there is a DVD. I, you know, I, okay. There, that's the thing with these packages. But that's fine. All I care about mostly are the is the added value. Yeah, get the just, Blu-ray. Look, here's the thing: 3D four-disc edition. I, I, I went through this. I went through this with Blade Runner because there were so many different releases of Blade Runner. It's just like right. just get and the, there's get, yet another one. When's that coming? Well, hang on a second. Okay, <laughs> let me clarify this. <laughs> Prometheus, just get the big set. Yeah. Because all the other releases are for different markets. The people who are listening to your podcast right. get the four-disc set. Because that's, that's for, for fans. The four-disc 3D Blu-ray set. Yes. It'll be the collector's edition. The so, collector's edition. Yeah, just get okay. that one. Okay. And, that, and keep it simple. That um, will be the only edition referred to as collector's edition? Yes. At least in North America and Region so. 1. I believe so. Right, okay. Now, just with, get the big one. <laughs> with Blade Runner, yeah. let's just, speaking of pods and offshoots, yeah. let's just shoot off for s- 60 seconds and say yeah. that, yes, there's another edition of Blade Runner that's coming imminently, right? I or guess. is that in October as well? I don't know. Okay. Like, the, the reason but I here's sound, the thing. Yeah. It comes with a Sid Mead concept spinner. Yes. And, and that's and why a, I'm a, buying it. And a book of photos that are pretty cool. And that's why I'm buying it. Um, yeah, I had... I have nothing to do with this release. I mean, I, I had like a courtesy meeting with Warner Brothers and right. some brief conversations, but right, uh, you know, th- had they come to me, I could have done a much, much more uh, robust upgrade. But right, um, maybe some more down the road that'll be possible. Um, right, you know, I I think that this the, the spinner that they did is wonderful. Like the Sydney concept spinner is great. Incredible. Uh, if, yeah. you're, if you if you're into that stuff, it's really cool. The, the photo book inside of it. Has photos and art I've never seen before, so that was really impressive to, that they dug that up. So yeah. th- there is value to this new release. It's just that it's you know, I I just wish that we could have done something else. More. But yeah, but that's fine. It's like it's look, it's an amazing set no matter how you slice it. And right. and if you didn't get the briefcase, now's the time to get it. You know, right? Um, now's the time to get this new set. That's what I'm saying. Which is also in a brief. Uh, no, it's, in a, a it's a completely different package. Okay. Um, but uh, if, I'm just saying, if you want the content, then I'm sure this new release will be the one to get. You know? Right. Although um, you won't get that little, you won't get that little tinfoil unicorn one. No, no. <laughs> anyway, all right. So back to Prometheus. Take us through the front door. You've bought your Fordis Fordis Blu-ray set. 3D ed- collector's edition. Yeah. And here's what you're going to get. Well, let me just focus on. Let me put aside the 3D disc for a second because that's really just the movie in 3D. Sure. Looks great. I saw the 3D. It looks fantastic. Um, okay. Focusing strictly on the 2D HD feature disc right. and the 2D HD extras disc. We'll right. talk about those two. Okay. So on the, the, the feature disc, you've got the film. Obviously, you have two commentary tracks, one with Ridley Scott, another with uh, Damon Lindelof and John Spates, the, the writers of the film. They are jointly on the same commentary. They're on the same commentary from two different sessions. Got it. Edited together. Got it. Um, and not because we 
couldn't record. I mean, they would have done it together, just sure. scheduling. Um, sure. And really, actually, all all the commentary tracks are, I think, really, really uh, interesting. I mean, more. I mean, actually, not to single out one of them, but I really think Lindelof just knocked out of the park with his commentary. I mean, he right. was really fascinating, funny, always engaging, always entertaining. Right. Um, and he, you know, he took a lot of the heat for the criticisms leveled at the film. I mean, I think, I think he kind of stood up to take the hit, frankly. He, uh, right. he seemed perfectly happy to be the whipping boy. Be a lightning rod. Yeah. And he kind of knew that. You can, you sense it in the commentary. He even mentions that. Like, he's used to it with Lost. Probably, yeah. With anything he's, but in the commentary, he says, J. J. Abrams, right? in the commentary, he says, if you love the film, it's because of Ridley Scott. If you hate the film, it's because of me. And he, that's how he, that's kind of his thesis in his commentary. He just wow. goes off from that point. Wow. Um, with, and then with John Spates, you get more of the backstory of the alien prequel part of it and kind of what he thought the final result was, you know, in comparison to his original idea. Right. So that's also fascinating. And Ridley really goes thematic and, uh, in terms of his interest in, the story and the characters, not so much in the production nuts and bolts because we have that in the documentary covered but, on yeah. camera, right? Meticulously, but all very uh, worthwhile commentaries. And then there's um, uh, about thirty or so minutes of deleted scenes on that same disc, right? Um, some of which are completely new. Some are re-edits of like like extended editions of what you've already seen, Some existing scenes. But I'll just put it this way: if you're a an, an editor and you want to create your own fan edit of Prometheus, you've got all the material on this disc to to put together something elaborate. Right. Not that I'm condoning that or encouraging that, but it's going to happen. That just, is all copyrighted material, Charlie. It is. It is all copyrighted material. I'm not suggesting by we do Corp. that. <laughs> but I think we are now seen having seen fan edits of Star Wars and the Star Wars Blade Runner trilogy. and any other movie out there that has deleted scenes yeah i have no doubt there'll be a fan edit or several of prometheus right um, so materials on there right um and then there's these as i mentioned before the peter whalen files which are the viral clips right um, so that's that's the feature disc and then the extras disc is crazy in terms of how much content is on it um but we start with uh this massive documentary called the furious gods making prometheus which is about uh, three hours and 40 minutes, I believe. Right. Um, and it's broken up into multiple chapters, kind of topical chapters in terms of like the, the story genesis, the production design, the costumes, the casting, right. shooting, right. creatures, stunts, action, visual effects, post. I mean, it's the whole thing beginning to end. Right. Um, so that's three hours and 40 minutes. But there's, there's this thing called we, uh, we call enhancement mode, which we turn it on. Uh, throughout the film, kind of th- sporadically throughout, you'll get these little prompts that'll tell you, by the way, did you happen to know that whatever? Uh, and if you want to learn more about it, would you, you like know, to know more? Would you like to, it's, it's totally, would you like to know more? It's yeah. really the, the Starship <laughs> Troopers thing. Um, in fact, that was, that was one of my, when we, when we were writing the text for those little prompts, I actually right. had, would you like to know more? Uh, initiate enhancement. We had like all these <laughs> versions of, would you like to know more? You know? Right. So if you want to know more, you click on it and it'll take you out of the documentary to this dedicated pod, these enhancement pods right. that are, you know, topically connected somewhat to the part Featurettes. of the documentary. And they're little, they're, they're short little featurettes, but they're really right. interesting and they're fun and they take you places that the documentary just, it's not, it would part, just it's not part slow of the, natural, the documentary down. It, yeah, it's not part of the natural narrative flow of the documentary. Right. It's a little right. offshoot. It's a little back alley. And and, right. and and I love these pods. It's because they're really back alley. They're they very, drill down. They, yeah, they drill down, but they're very strange, obscure topics, which are really fun. You know, The engineer language. 
the engineer language one is my favorite, or one of my favorites for sure. And I the engineer to... language also provides one of two well, sort of crossover. Yeah, but I don't know if we should talk about that much No, right you should now. maybe go look for yourself. Yeah, there's, there's two pods. For those of you who think that Alien and Blade Runner take place in the same universe, there are two enhancement pods that you might want to check out. And they are? Um, language of the Gods. Right. And uh, r- uh, merging Ridley verses. Say that ten times fast. Got merging it. Ridley verses is right. the other one. Right. Um, and those are fun little um, you know looks at the possible crossroads between the Alien universe and the Blade Runner universe. Um, and by the way, there's a little bit of that also on disc one in the Peter Whalen files in the in some of the text journal that uh, Whalen wrote. Okay. Um, going from something that that you would call it's not thematic. It's sort of a, I don't know, it's like a, it's a bit of an Easter egg in terms of an exploration of content. Do you have any literal Easter eggs on this thing or no. have we moved past that in terms of DVD? I mean, I've moved DVDs past these it. days. I've moved past Easter eggs. You know, they were yeah. fun. Um, if, you know, there, there might occasionally be the need for an Easter egg because it's just something that really, truly doesn't fit. Doesn't fit on the anywhere, menu, but or, you know, or people kinda, would love it. Or they'd love it. Or it's maybe somewhat gray in terms of the legality of it. Or, right. you know, topically it might be a little off color or whatever. Right. But uh, no, there are no traditional Easter eggs right. on the set, so don't bother looking. Um, frankly, there's so much stuff on the disc, you're not going to even want an Easter egg, frankly. Um, right. So, so you have a three-hour, forty-minute doc. You've got like an hour and fifteen worth of pods that, right. that chase the doc. So, really, you've got like five hours of making of documentary devoted to Prometheus to right. start. Right. Then, you know, there's a section uh, devoted to. It's called the uh, the Wayland Corp Archive. Right. And in this archive, it's pretty much everything else. So we've got. I think I think we have every promotional featurette that was online before the movie came out. Right. Every t- trailer, TV spot, including those every you know, viral, every viral, um, you know, in three days and two days and one day, right. like all that stuff is on right. there. Right. Um, the like the HBO first look. I mean, pretty much anything generated to promote the film is right. on there um, right. to some in, in some form. Um, there is also a really crazy over-the-top uh, image gallery section. Right. Uh, the likes of which we haven't seen in a long, long time on discs. Um, you know, I mean, this is like beyond what you would see even in a Criterion Laserdisc set because, I mean, we there there's thousands and thousands of images. Right. Uh, conceptual art from the early Alien prequel days where you actually get to see the xenomorph as it would have appeared had it been in the, the movie film. that could have been the movie could have been you would have seen the proto face huggers the proto chestbursters you would have you get to see all that stuff you get to see the process the full process you get to see the alpha to the omega of this of yeah. this project it's really remarkable that's the thing i was most struck by watching most of this stuff is how unbelievably comprehensive coverage of the processes it's you know it's 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 very dense it's very film rich. school dude it's it's yeah it's, it's Prometheus film school. 101 really um, with a master it's a master it, class it, it no and i and that's one of the that was certainly one of the um the major uh priorities i had was to credit have something that was so deep in terms of the content of it like you could go as shallow or as deep as you want yeah but uh the depth of the, of the scope is really i think um impressive yeah. for especially nowadays because when you were talking earlier about the, how like a, a lot of discs these days are kind of like half-assed. There's you know maybe just a few minutes of promotional fluff on there. Yeah, the Prometheus disc, I believe, is if you were a fan of DVD 
uh, back in like I'd say the golden age of ninety seven through two thousand whatever five right. two thousand seven like but the golden age of DVD. Right. This I think this is going to be a very fond you know return to those days of like that type of disc where you got you got that disc and you were so excited to unwrap it and yeah. get in there and just like lose yourself for a couple of days in the content. Yeah. Um, this is going to be that type of disc, which I, I, I love that, you know, Fox let me do that because I yeah. was exactly what this needed to be, frankly. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a perfect companion piece with the alien anthology. It's like, you can put this shoulder to shoulder with that set. Yeah. And it's, it's a perfect like cousin to that set. And yeah. all of these things, it's so interesting. It's like all of these things are, as with all documentaries, uh, the great thing about these documentaries is as opposed to, um, you know, let's say there was a famous PBS documentary in American family about the louds, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was in the late seventies or early eighties. It's like, if you want to get that, uh, number one, I don't even know that PBS has even released it. Number two, what if PBS had a fire in their tape vault and those tapes, all burned up. Universal Studios seems to have a fire on their back lot once a year that always seems to burn down archival storage buildings, right? Here's the interesting thing, especially in light of, I mean, not to, not to touch, not to, you know, to tread, to tread gently around it, but in light of Tony Scott's recent passing, you can't not look at all this stuff and go that, None of them, no one, Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, anyone we've discussed, no one lives forever, much to Ridley Scott's chagrin. You told me, I, th I think about six months ago, that he's, that a lot of his interests thematically in all this, and maybe this is explored in the commentary and the documentary material that you present, or, but he's he's he was most interested in that, Wailing character because as a guy who's in his early 70s he's become obviously you know more interested in mortality than he probably was when he was in his mid 40s all this stuff will live forever and the great thing as opposed to an american family is because this is all meticulous documenting of ridley scott's life work and to a large degree, your life's work in the last 14 years has been documenting his life's work. It, it, and because his life's work is movies and you've been documenting a movie maker and his movies, this stuff will all live forever, forever, as opposed to an esoteric documentary on a great, on great white sharks that I might have seen in 1974 that yeah you know they could never clear the rights so it was never released to home video and it's it's gone it's gone forever you know this stuff dark days or furious gods i mean it 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 will live this these materials will all live forever and it, it is interesting i'm we've um started to get we um how do i put this I had a dinner recently. I think I just referred to this in a recent podcast, but I had a dinner recently with a guy at the Academy who isn't, who is uh, working at or near the top of the Academy museum project. And so I'll actually give you one of their booklets. Once we wrap up here, you look at some of the stuff they have in their collection, the, a pair of Ruby slippers from the wizard of Oz, but also one of the allies from 2001 and you're just instantly reminded of, again, 
preservation legacy, caretaking, and the fact that any great thing that you have in your house um, that's come from the set of any movie that you've been lucky enough to work on or any great thing that's in this house here that's come from a set, you know, we're not going to be in this house forever. And where are these things going to, what museum are these things going to all end up in or what university archive are all these things going to end up in? And then the great thing about all the work that you've done with Ridley on all of these movies is that your stuff isn't going to be locked up in the UCLA film archive, or you're not going to have to travel to Los Angeles to go to the Academy museum to get access to your documentaries on the, on this guy and his movies to your documentaries, which stand alone as their own documentary works on this fascinating subject, which is this character Ridley Scott and, you know, these talking pictures that he makes for a living, you know, it's pretty great. It's awesome. I, you know, I, I I think it's it's certainly a fascinating exploration of a of an artist, you know, and and in such a way that I I wish any artist that would want this type of you know documentation uh, yeah. could be done. It's just that at some point, I even I ask myself, you know, at what point are we starting to dem- demystify the art? Well, I think that's why Mr. Spielberg right won't sit for a commentary track. You know, the thing is, I was thinking about that today. Actually, I think I mean he would be amazing on a commentary because he's yeah. such a great storyteller, and he's yeah. so he, he he you can tell he relishes telling these stories. Yeah. I watched and like, never gets tired of I it. I watched that Google Hangout for a little bit for the Lincoln thing. Yeah, I skipped that, in on that too. And did you see how how many people were in it when you were in it? I don't remember a number, but it was an insane amount. How many? See, were when in? I was in it, which is when the trailer was actually being shown. It was 3,000 people. Is that it? That was it. Because then I saw Joseph Gordon-Levin tweet about it, and then I got in there, and there were like tens and tens of thousands, I believe. Okay. And then he did that indie thing, I think it was last night, mm-hmm. with Harrison Ford. So Spielberg is... Online? Son, no, at a theater... Is it Paramount? It was like, at, at oh, the yeah, Paramount. Oh, yeah, screening on the Paramount yeah, lot yeah. of uh, Raiders so of the Lost So Spielberg's talking... He's just he just won't well, do it. He just won't do it for anyone that could formally. Yeah, which yeah. No, I mean so he's, he just no, he gave an interview to the New York Times a week ago that I put on my he Facebook does, page. He does tons of interviews and on and the documentaries he does. It's just the commentary issue. Yeah, I think would be fascinating because to to you know famously he uh, I forgot who he was watching the film with, but he was watching Lawrence of Arabia with somebody and he was telling he was basically doing his commentary of Lawrence of Arabia, sort of as a wow. fan of the film. Wow. And I'm thinking that would be gold to have Amazing. recorded to hear yeah. Spielberg talking about Lawrence. Who actually knew David Lean also. And I, I know a lot of people might not love commentaries, perhaps, but it's by far my favorite feature that could ever be. I mean, that's the first thing I do is commentaries. And it has well, been really? since. Yeah, I mean, that's pro- wow. 80% of my film knowledge or working knowledge of like the industry and stuff like that. It came from commentaries. Wow. And, the problem is, like, you have to first you have to have somebody who's really good at it, who enjoys it, and wants yep. to be there. Yep. Secondly, there's this whole matter of perspective because nowadays, when you do commentary on a new movie, you're doing it before the movie's even done. Yes. You're doing it as soon yeah. as you have picture lock. Correct. So you're doing it before the effects are finished, before the mix is there, before right. fans have seen it. Right. So you're really talking about the film before critics have seen it. it seems right. like has they, it hit culturally? It, has it, it missed right. culturally? It seems like they're recording them now a day or two before the American premiere is. No, 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 They're no, always no, in a room no, going no, like we that. haven't even seen the movie it's yet. That. It's just all bullshit. It's, yeah, yeah. it's before that. No, but the the other side of it is is it it's a film that's so long ago that they've forgotten the details of the making of the film. 
to the point where they end up just rewatching the movie because they haven't probably watched the film in years. Right. And I get that a lot when I do retrospective commentaries where you have to like right. really urge them on, you know. Right. And and there's a sweet spot there that if you can find it, it's it's wonderful, you know, but it's really hard to find that sweet spot nowadays because commentaries have kind of fallen down the list in terms of priority. Right. For uh added value. Right. At the other end of the spectrum, we have the guy I live with who by the time he's gone through like most press, he feels like he said all that he needs to say. I and by the way, he I'm still do commentaries. He will do commentaries, but the commentary, it's interesting. It's like if you and I do read every interview he gives, or if you listen to every interview that he gives, and you wait for the interesting question that he hasn't been asked before, which will prompt hopefully an interesting answer on his part. Like if you listen to the commentaries, they it's all there. The it's pretty much all there. Yeah. And I don't think it's honestly, it's not because uh, any of his works are so shallow as to only, you know, merit two hours worth of conversation, but he's not really so interested in drilling really deep into process. So as in when I've saved drafts of his scripts that are marked up, um, he's horrified by that. It's like, I don't want any, he said it's like dirty underwear. I don't want anyone to see that. Right. Well, it, it's funny because I'm starting to get my own little taste of that with Crave because, uh, For sure. like when I'm doing these interviews or I'm doing Q and A's after the, the, the screening, right. I'm getting the same questions and the same questions over tend to get again. the same answer, Yep. you know, with slight variations. And then that starts to get out on YouTube or people are recording yep. it and I'm seeing it. I'm thinking, oh man, I'm saying the same thing over and yep. over again. How can yeah. I mix it up to make it interesting? And that's now affecting the validity what? of the answer because now I'm starting to like spin it to like be interesting or different right. when I've already but, and of, is that true and is it true I've already told yeah. the story but yeah. now I gotta find some new way to keep it interesting otherwise I can say oh yeah I've heard to yourself to myself yeah. imagine, <laughs> or else imagine, I mean I haven't done your this eyes yet. will start closing I haven't done this yet but imagine these these poor souls have to do these junkets it's unbelievable where you have to talk to like 60 guys in a day dude a twilight junket they're all is three days place. long it's crazy I can't imagine that you know it's crazy. So, um, but you know, people people ask me, "Am I going to do the extras for my for Crave for my own film?" And I don't want to do the extras for my own film. I mean, if someone cares, you don't want to do them, or you don't want them done. Well, a little bit of both. Um, yeah. Um, if, if there's a demand, if people really want it, I've got it. We we shot behind the scenes every day. Well, I should Crave. hope so. So I've got that covered. It's on a shelf, right? Right. And I'm thinking, will you be, release it? Well, what I'm thinking is, wouldn't it be cool if, let's just say Crave gets a cult following or people, a certain number of people care. Care about it, for sure. But like in five years or down the road, then it's like, oh my God, they actually did cover it. It's not just some low-budget film they barely got through. Right. Suddenly there's like all this footage that no one even thought existed. That to me be, is a surprise. It's like that's when right. you, films you loved growing up and you, and you thought in a million years, oh, it's been so long. There's no possible way there could be behind the scenes material for it, and then magically one day there is. It's like every well, day, how about every you of all people that comes out, they suddenly find another fucking hour of footage that they right. shot. Like, from what? Like, it's, there's from been what, like man? seven days in confused editions. Really? I, I I own at least five different editions of Days and Confused because it's my favorite wow, film ever made. Dude. I typically don't double dip. Wow. But there have been a ridiculous, like, and they just keep every year they just add on like two new features, put new packaging on it, and like bump it out and in the sell it again. again. Yeah, wow. But they never run out of features. It's weird. Well, how about this guy sitting across from us, who's you know next to Ridley Scott himself, and I think Paul Sammons is the author. Yeah, right. Um, you're certainly an authority on Blade Runner by this point, 
How about the fact that you just uttered the words book that contains art and photos that I had never seen right. before that's coming in this new right. edition of Blade Runner, you know? There's always something new, you know? It's crazy. People seem to think, oh, we hold things back to screw you later down the road. We're going to, like, double dip, triple dip. But in, it's, and it's really, in some cases, but, but you know this what? is true. In my, and, you and can I, sense I, it, though, in those I, cases, I, I feel like. I, yeah. I've never, as far as I can tell, thinking back, I've never been a part of a project where it was intentionally, anything was intentionally held back. Right. It was either we ran out of space or we couldn't clear it, or right. there's some technical or legal issue, right? Or we just didn't get around to it until the next release. After that, when they right. when they come to you and they say, "Okay, what can we do that's new?" Right, and you go back in and you say, "Oh, we didn't use this last time. Let's try this out this time." You know, it's but really no, it's not this concerted evil plot to screw you over. It really is. But here's the here's the here's the scary thing when you talk about the when you talk about one potential approach to the to the documentary materials around your own first feature here. It, for everybody, whether you're talking about like, well, you know, do I in fact have material on Blade Runner that you've never seen in my closet over there? And is there going to be another edition released that would prompt you to record, shoot, record, document the material that I have in my closet or your material on your shelf that you're thinking if some, it's like, in a way, don't you feel now that we're in a, a bit in a race against time with the format itself? Because let me ask you this. So let's just say, let's say your exact hypothesis comes true with Crave. Let's say that Crave, and by the way, it should be noted, I'm wearing a Frank the Bunny t-shirt from Donnie Darko. Good example, right? Let's say that Crave develops a following similar to Darko. And you've got it all, and it's sitting there in your climate-controlled room just waiting to be exposed to your interested fan base. Seven years from now, what's the delivery system for that material that's not coming on a hard disc that's in a plastic clamshell with a, a pretty paper sleeve inside the clear plastic window that's being sold at Best Buy, which will no longer exist in seven years? Fry's Electronics, Walmart, Costco, I mean, home video at this point, and how do we even move spe new special features that have recently been unearthed for Blade Runner or Crave or Donnie Darko? How, do, how is this even going to be moved in after the hard disk goes away? Well, I mean, I think the, the you know, I, it's... It's so ambitious to even think about it. It'd give me a headache to even consider the, what, what you'd have to do to do it. But um, a friend of mine, uh, June Beeler, is one of the founding producers of the, the Shoah Foundation, uh, mm -hmm. the Shoah Project uh, that was done with Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. To just interview, after Schindler's List. Right. To interview um, all the living Holocaust survivors. Correct. And they shoot those interviews, and they, I, I think they've done multiple rounds with different people, and they keep trying to build the story and build the, you right. know, the archive. And, and it's cross-indexed and referenced in such a way that you could look up a certain historical moment or a, a, a certain person or whatever. Or a specific concentration camp. Whatever it is you're looking for, right. you, can act, you, you can find a way to access it. Sure. And, and that is, I mean, that is a, a, a massive undertaking because right. uh, it's such a, a huge volume of material. And they undertook, it, they undertook it a number of years ago. 
So I, I think of, okay, now take that system that they've developed for Shoah right. and then apply that to the making of, I mean, it's ridiculous to go for something as important as the Shoah Foundation, of something course. as trivial as filmmaking, of but course. Um, to, to basically say, okay, can we, is there a way to take all the material that's ever been captured right. for the making of one film, two films, a hundred films, a thousand films and everything, right. put that in some massive Hollywood MCP, you know, kind right. of, you know, right. mega computer, right. deep thought. And then, then you have your, your true, you know, living archive of all the behind the scenes stories and interviews and but the thing is and they do that up at the at paul allen's emp which used to be called experience music project science right. fiction sci-fi museum they now just go by emp they're recording constantly um uh not living histories or you know they get ron moore up there and ron moore sits for sits in front of a single camera for six hours and basically goes right you know um I think I feel like Spielberg and Lucas have done them, and but you have to go to the EMP to access that material, which is their copyrighted material used through license with Mr. Spielberg or whatever. Mm -hmm. the The thing that's so great about this this recent moment in history that you've been so important in is that again, all of all of this scholarship, all of this, all of these, uh, all of this documentation, all you have to do is go on Amazon, and if you have your Amazon account set to buy with one click, you click once, and that material is on its way with two-day Amazon Prime shipping to your door. Right, but that even that is incredibly crude and primitive compared to what it could be, which is... Let's Online. Just, yeah, let's just say, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's impossible, but let's just say all the behind-the-scenes material ever shot, every interview ever shot, is yeah. now in some massive drive, yeah. right? Some yeah. hub, some information hub. Yeah. And you say, I'm curious, uh, what was uh, Brad Pitt's first experience with acting? Right. And you enter that in, and then suddenly that just targets every possible reference, whether Brad Pitt said it, whether a certain director said it, whether other actors yeah. talked about it. Yeah. And then it, it tailors this experience for you to find out about that like that one topic mm -hmm. now that's you know that's one tiny tiny little topic to, to even consider but sure beyond that it can be tailored to a much bigger experience which eventually would be a almost interactive computer generated documentary right because you say okay tell me about jaws and then right it'll just go hours and hours and hours on jaws you know yeah ever from the every library, possible angle the library at alexandria yeah. on jaws right the jaws section of the library at, right. at alexandria all of this makes me think of the moment in prometheus when you see um the synth the synthetic is that what is that what we call them well that's the what mythology of prometheus well david yeah. played by michael fassbender is referred to as a I, I don't know if he's referred to as anything other than he's just an android. Okay, um, so the android synth synthetic is, is a term from aliens, which I don't believe was used before yeah, or after. Know. But what's Ash referred to as an alien? Uh, Ash is not referred to. They call him a robot, right? Because um, because Parker says that you know they, it's a goddamn robot, um, right? But, uh, you know, they, in Aliens, Burke says you know we always have a synthetic on board, and then Bishop says I prefer the term artificial person myself. Right, right. Then I don't think in Alien Three is referred to at all. Right, except maybe I think in one of the score cues it's called a droid or something like that. Right. Oh right. no, actually Bishop Two at the end says I'm not a droid when he gets right. hit in the ear. Droid, which so, is a trademark and copyright. Wars, that's LFL. Right. That's right. LFL. It is. 
Um, um, Alien Resurrection, I've erased from memory, so I don't know what they call it. <laughs> <in that>. um, <laughs> you did the disc for it, so... Hey, man, I was, it I think, I'm a big Jeannot fan. I don't think there is one. You mean, if you, then you should get you pronounce the name correctly. It's Jeannot. Oh, Jeannot. <laughs> come on. I'm not French. It's not, we're, not, we're not talking about come Phil Joanna, the director of... Come on, Cohen. Anyway, um, all right, so the robot David is seen uh, waking everybody up. Yeah. On board Prometheus in the opening moments of Ridley Scott's exciting new film, <laughs> Prometheus. Yeah. And before he wakes everybody up, we see him watching Lawrence of Arabia. Right. The funny thing to see would be him watching your documentary on Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> Boning up on that. Yeah. But here's the thing, dude. When that, when whatever the equivalent of that is, is going to exist and whatever year Prometheus is set, this these documentaries that you've created on certainly the work on Alien, Blade Runner, and here's hoping Prometheus, it's too soon to tell. It will it's gonna live forever, you know? So You know, I mean I hope that people care, you know, to let me to ask it. you this. Um what's the best what's the best work you ever did with Tony Scott? What's the best documentary? Oh boy. Um did you do Crimson Tide? No, that was before my did time. Did anybody do Crimson Tide? Uh, that well, seems like a bare-bones disc. I don't think there's any. No, no, there, there is. There is. Uh, Will Hook and Jerry Heiss, who worked with Tony for many years, did his EPK stuff. I think they did a couple pieces on the Crimson Tide right. disc. I mean, they're very sort of like on location, on the Feature, set. They're, yeah, not, they're not very retrospective, of, but yeah. you know, that was kind of all that was asked for. Um, At the time, yeah. But Will and Jerry... Um, documented um on set with tony for many many years i think right. crimson tide might have been the first time they worked together but um jerry right. used to be tony's assistant got it um my involvement came about more on the dvd side um the only set of tony's ever shot on me personally i think was domino if i recall correctly right um but uh which was richard which was uh written or richard co-written by richard donnie darker kelly that's right circling it back around that's right um I would have to say, in terms of retrospective documentary, the Top Gun one is pretty um, elaborate and is comprehensive. Okay. Um, on some anniversary edition of that, mo- it wasn't an anniversary edition. I don't think when we did it, um, but it's you know it's it's the special edition okay. mega set for Top Gun. That was mm-hmm. that was pretty good. Um, Come, I think came with the, the full scale F fifteen. What's that? <laughs> came with a full scale F fifteen Eagle. Um, and a, vo- a beach volleyball course. <laughs> I think the doc on Man on Fire is really good. Right. I think that's a really good set. Um, right. There's a lot of really great extras on the Man on Fire set, right. honestly. Um, and uh, and then there's this little... I did a short one that actually Tony wrote me a note about, uh, which I found the other day when I was just you know reminiscing about Going Tony. Through. Right. Um, Tony sent me this postcard thanking me for the uh, Revenge featurette. Interesting. Which was called... Uh, it was called... Um, Obsession, the sex and violence of revenge, which you must have done also in retrospect, right? That was oh, that was totally retrospective. Revenge um, is the Kevin Costner movie, yeah, right? Which I think is like one of Tarantino's favorite movies. And uh, is that true? Yeah. In fact, that's on the box. It says like one of my favorite films, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> is on the box. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. But that was uh, that was an interesting one because we had no money, we had no time. Tony just decided one day that he wanted to do a director's cut of Revenge. And so there's a new cut. Oh yeah, this is years ago though. We did this a long time ago. I'm so behind in my life; it's unbelievable. Um, But you know, Tony kind of willed that into existence. He just decided he wanted it and got Sony to agree to it. But we all had to really take a big, you know, pay cut on that. Right, right, of course. Um, But did Costner get involved? Oh yeah, I I went up to his house in Santa Barbara and shot him. uh, How was he? He was great. Nice guy. He was very nice. And actually, it's funny. Usually, when you wrap up, when you go to someone's house and you wrap up, they usually take off. 
right. as you wrap up and they, you know, they say, well, you know, just don't break anything. Yeah. Costner sat with us the whole time. And actually, after we were wrapped and ready to go, we still talked for about another like 45 minutes about movies, about directors. Yeah. He was really talkative that day. It was the day after his birthday. Huh. And his house had balloons and party favors and stuff like all over. So he was still like coming off of some big birthday party the night before. I'm kind of rooting for like another great act for Kevin Costner. I think he'll, I think he's going to get one. I think he's I think he's due. He still feels like such an American movie star to yeah. me, like an American classic. Yeah, and I and I want it back. He would, he was really I'm excited great. about Man of Steel. Yeah, um, uh, that's got Here's a great hoping. cast. That's got a great cast. Here's hoping, yeah. um, but no, Costner was great. Madeline Stowe was great and still looking amazing. And then Tony told some amazing stories on that in that interview we did with him. And um, huh. and it's really kind of it's very bittersweet for me because I look back at that that featurette and one of the last things Tony says is he's talking about Ray Stark and he's talking about being remembered as a madman about just going out there balls to the wall and just you know taking life on and creating right. really passionate work. Right. And one of the last things we have him say in the doc is like he hopes that when he's gone, he's remembered that way. And Through just that, at least a part in that doc. Yeah, yeah. Like the last part of the doc is him saying yeah. that. And now, of course, it yeah. breaks my heart when I of course. see that or hear that. Of course. Wow. Um, huh. But yeah, I would say, I mean, those are some really good ones. I'm probably forgetting one or two. But um, yeah, Tony was never super into the extras you know i mean in, the in way some ridley way is well I, I would say ridley isn't even into them as much as he allows them it's like right. he, he gets it and he allows them to happen right and he's supportive he's very supportive don't get me wrong he wants the best but he's not like some of these younger directors who are just total hardcore criterion geeks right who they that's all they think about is like right. the extras ridley's thinking about called the narcissists yes <laughs> exactly ridley's thinking about making the best movie he can yeah but he knows this is a, a part of it that has to happen he's a shark swimming with the pilot fish swimming alongside right. and he permits the pilot Correct. fish and i'm and i'm a tiny little pilot fish <laughs> way back at the end of the tail that yeah. he allows to just exist you know? yeah yeah so tony was never really i mean tony again was you know incredibly sweet and 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 so supportive and nice but he you could just tell he was never really super into the extras i mean he right. again he allowed him to happen but um he was so just like fixated on the film that right. was before him and and right. that so um yeah two different experiences with ridley and tony in terms of the making of right stuff is there anything else you feel like um handy user's guide to prometheus um you know we haven't really talked about deleted scenes much but um there's you know, for people who feel like that the cut of the film was somehow compromised or too short, I've read a lot about that where people think, that, right. oh, if, if only there was an extended cut of the film, it would fix all of its problems. Ridley, well, Ridley has said there will be no further no, cuts. This is, correct? this is his cut. This is he, it. He was, he could have put out pretty much anything he wanted. Right. Fox would have loved that. Well, here, here's another the, cut. Why Fox, not? No, fine. And Fox, to be fair, Fox offered him that that right. opportunity, and right. he said, "No, I'm good. He's, right. he's, he's he's happy with the cut as it is." Right. Um, but certainly, he's not against having deleted scenes on the on the set. So, sure. um, there's some really interesting deleted scenes for those people who think that there's, you know, so much more uh, to the story that was cut out. It's I don't really think there was. It, it was just more, more moments and sort of character evolutions and things right. that you know, got cut for running time or got cut for clarity of, of the narrative or, right. or for just the overall, you know, uh, enjoyment of the film. Cause there comes right. a point where God, it's, it's just too much. I mean, you, you might have a, a truly amazing scene from beginning to end. That's it's absolutely fantastic. Kids. And it's yeah. just like it, but it's throwing off the pace of the whole film. Totally. So you have to lose it, even though it's an amazing scene. The magic there's, there's and a mystery of, of editing. On, there's a few yeah. of those on Prometheus that are great scenes, self-contained, 
but yeah. they were throwing off kind of the, the, the balance, the equilibrium of the film itself, right. and they had to go. Right. And I think you'll see on the disc why that is, even though they're really cool to watch. For sure. They wouldn't fit. Sure. You know? I mean, I have a couple moments I think, God, if it was my film, I'd put it back in, but it's right. not my film, you know? Right. Um, but I mean, I feel like I'd, I would include the, the extended final battle between Shaw and the engineer at the end because I right. feel like that would have been good to have some sort of um, resolution to the, you know, to the sort of, I wouldn't call it even a, a, a conflict between the two, but I mean, you know, it's like the super, the super boss at the end of a video game. It's like you need to have right. that kind of level of satisfaction where you right. defeated Goliath. Right. You know? Right. And we didn't quite get that, you know? Well. Because um, that wasn't Ridley's priority. He had something exactly. else he wanted to explore. You didn't quite get that in the cut, but you well, you do have that in the deleted it's, it's, scene it's in the deleted here. Scenes. So for people who are interested Absolutely. in seeing so it, on the Blu-ray it's you all get, there, finished you know, up with uh, visual effects, et cetera. Uh, for right? the most part. For the most part. There are some shots that aren't quite finished. But, right. Um, but yeah, on the Blu-ray, you'll get Shaw fighting the engineer, which is cool. Right. Um Little hints at Alien, like there's a bit where Fifield and Milbourne find uh, some shredded skin, which is very reminiscent of sure. uh, Brett finding the skin in Alien. Sure. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's some people were were questioning the the wisdom of uh, Milbourne, um, kind of being lovey dovey with the uh, the hammerpeed with the right. Zeno Cobra, as the kids call him. Right. Damon Lindelof explains that point in his commentary. You said right. Um, I can't remember if he does or not. Um, I don't. We didn't talk about that, but um, it's he, handled I, in the deleted scene. It, in the, well, in this one deleted scene where they scene, encounter worms. Uh, no. Well, yeah, sort of. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you. Okay. Um, so basically, in the film, you see a boot step on some worms, right? And right. then later, you see the full-blown hammerpede a- attack, basically. Right. And people are wondering, why is Milburn being so like, oh, hey, baby, being all lovey-dovey right. with this obviously lethal-looking creature? Right. Um, there was a scene in between where uh, they find these larger, kind of like in-between worm-type creatures. Right. And you see Milburn being this almost like this childlike innocence of discovering the first extraterrestrial they've ever encountered i mean this is like the first alien life that humanity's ever seen and doesn't and he goes and he you know it is it is a harmless i mean it's like you know six seven inches long but it's like this harmless little worm this proto-life form right that he scoops up and and david grabs it puts it into a jar that's right and david actually says our first alien exactly and 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 they actually kind of pat milburn on the head like this little boy who just made this amazing discovery so he has like this childlike enthusiasm enthusiasm right yeah it's like this enthusiasm for finding new life right so if you put that in then him seeing that the full-blown hammer later it's like you're like okay he's just on this high yeah of discovery correct you know so it's like right. things like that, you wonder, well, was that short enough that it wouldn't have thrown off the pace of the whole film, right. but it would have patched that hole that some people have. That some people just got, and they just want to drive their Mac fucking truck through that hole. They're just obsessed with that. I feel like the cut that came out in theaters is the best cut of the film I've seen. Like, and I, 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 I think it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's really sad that so many people want everything spoon-fed to them. Well, here's know? the thing, dude. It, it's And Bill has... Um, Bill is, has uh, engaged in hot debate with a number of people in post on Breaking Dawn, who all went to see it quickly. Uh, you know, post obviously most much of post on is visual effects, so the, all these visual effects artists ran right out to see the new Alien or the new movie set in the Alien universe, and uh, then they were all, they were all trashing it, and Bill was basically just throwing them all off, and they're all landing on. Plot, character, inconsistencies, 
holes, um, narrative things that they just take great offense and umbrage at. And here's the thing. Bill has his own set of defensive arguments that he makes and loves to attack on this. It's like if you throw, if you throw uh, someone who hates Prometheus at Bill, it's like a big fucking stake right down in the Velociraptor pen. But um, my take on it is that people who are so obsessed with this stuff, let's take that one example. Why would this guy take his helmet off and go over there near the near the Savis? Clearly, you're not into the, you're out of the movie at that point. And part of the reason you're out of the movie, or I believe it all ties in with, there's a moment in the documentary that you just showed me when the thing does go from in process, in development, the project goes from Alien prequel to Prometheus and becomes Prometheus. And in that moment, a lot of, the, a lot of these people are lost. Because what these people um, all wanted was an alien prequel directed by Ridley Scott. And frankly, what a lot of the marketing sold these people with the use of the siren or the klaxon mm-hmm. was that they were going to get that alien prequel directed by Ridley Scott that they'd been furiously masturbating to since they heard the announcement of the project. And then instead they got Prometheus. And they don't like that. They don't like that their expectations were not... But can I tell you something? That's fulfilled. that's that's mostly true. That's that's mostly true. But what's interesting, I find, is that from the very earliest days of of Prometheus uh, gearing up for pre production and like the first sort of interviews that kind of leaked out or whatever, yep. Ridley, the cast, the crew, all said this is not an Alien prequel. Right. It's a film that takes place in the Alien universe that has Alien DNA. All these right. little catchphrases that came out. People didn't believe that. Nobody believed it. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, they're covering up, they're hiding it. And they sure want enough, what they want. I know. but that's the They thing. didn't like, want to believe they, it. They were told. They several didn't months out, They were told several months ahead of time, this is what you're getting. They <laughs> repeatedly. Refu- repeatedly. They refused to yeah. believe it because they thought it was a cover-up and they refused yeah. to Lindelof, you know, like smoke, smoke screens for Lost, things totally, like that. Totally, totally. And, so, and it's like, that's what they're expecting. And I feel like... You know, dude, you were warned. Yeah. You were told clearly this is not going to be repeatedly a alien prequel. Exactly. And they get not a traditional alien prequel and they get upset. And it's expectation versus what you're actually given in now 21st century Western media culture. Right. And this is the world that we live in. Right. It's interesting. It's very interesting. It's funny, though, because you mentioned the whole thing about plot holes and like, you know, just you're out of the movie if you're if you're picking these little things apart. And I was I was thinking about Blade Runner. Well, I'm thinking of the guys you're arguing with in the parking lot outside the Cinerama Dome right. arc like concept. I can hear them. Well, it's, I it's, know how those arguments go. But here's the thing: it's like there's a certain uh, logic uh, that there's, there's almost like a, a certain like wavelength Ridley works on logically. Yeah. That you're either in or you're out, and I I'm always. I'm in, in most of the time because it's it's, it's it's a it's a it's a unique world he's creating. Correct. Whether it's present day, contemporary, you know, if it's Body of Lies or Hannibal or whatever, right. he's still he's still on a completely different wavelength right. than what a documentary would be. Right. And 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 I was thinking about Blade Runner. You know, why does a, a trillion dollar corporation like T- Tyrell hire choose little eye shop in the back alley of the fourth sector to right. do their eyes for their Nexus Six with no security? You can just right. walk right in. Right. 
But that's somehow we don't we don't ask ourselves why is that happening right. when we're in the film because we're fully immersed. You accept it. How does Batty and Sebastian go up in an elevator together right to Tyrell's floor, even with the the minor little chess yeah. security code thing? It's yeah. like you know Tyrell would have like armed bodyguards of and like all you know. And yeah, somehow basically he gets Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. Right. Of You're not getting in by, by, yeah. by just doing a chess move. Yeah. So it's like there are these things that you don't ask yourself because you're immersed in the world. Correct. And the story and the characters. Correct. And I feel like in, in this day and age, we have become so desensitized by seeing so much spectacle and so much of these grand worlds yep. that Ridley made back in the 70s and 80s. And now everyone yep. can do because they have the technology and they've, and right. they've, they've got the blueprint and the playbook to follow. Right. right. That sure, it's like you know, you start to like ask yourself these questions. I and I kind of, I turn myself over to a film when I sit there to watch a film. I want it to be great. I'm rooting for it. It's only when it's a really truly bad film that I violently turn against it. You know, so all the reaction of Prometheus. I mean, there was a lot of positive reaction, but kind of like the more angry reaction. I thought was very amusing because one, you were told it was not going to be an alien prequel. Two, it's like you're obviously not immersed in the world. Right, and I don't know why because it's it's also I feel in the last. 10, 15, 20 years, it's the influence of television. Sure. And it's the influence of the conglomeratization of the movie studios to the point where most movies that are produced and released by a studio that you go to see that then be that sort of sets your, your median expectation level for what you're going to get go through now a rigorous development process, as do most epi- episodic television shows go through a rigorous development process where every bit of mystery magic and grandeur is beaten out of them by someone with you know a metal tent meat tenderizer hammer just hammering out uh, tying up every loose end crossing every t dotting every i i've heard i've heard the meetings i know what the meetings sound like really scott is like tim burton way less interested in all of that kind of shit is way more interested in, in other things that are um, more about what movies to my mind should be about. Can we please not compare Ridley Scott to Tim fucking Burton? You have to. Uh, All right. I mean, they're a a generation apart. (laughs) They're a generation apart, but these guys, I don't, I don't think these guys have ever been um, obsessed with, script they don't fuck i disagree moving image i disagree ridley is incredibly obsessed with the script he is on that thing like you wouldn't believe is that so people don't think he's an actor's director i've seen him he is an amazing actor's director i mean he rehearses well i never said that i'm not saying you said that but i'm saying that is a common criticism i think he's just a visualist that he's only focused on the image that's entirely not true i mean he is you know he he tears that script up and goes through it and figures it out and he's there's no aspect of the film he, he phones in. I mean, I, and I've, I've seen it firsthand. I mean, the way he I don't he think it's a question. It. For me, it's not a question about phoning in. It's just a question of... He, he's just as interested. He's just as interested in the script as he is in the imagery, frankly. And oh, the thing is, the right. imagery to him comes easily. It's like that's like second nature to him. The right. script is where he's really focused because that's, that is, it's a different language, you know? Interesting. And um, I don't know. I've been in meetings with him where he just, he's brutal on the script. I mean, and it's great to see how engaged he is on it. How do you reconcile that with what you said Lindelof says in, in either the commentary track or the documentary stuff? Lindelof is taking it on himself. The right. If you hate Prometheus, what does he say you hate? Script well, I, failures of script. I, I think, uh, but th- there's there's different types of 
failures or issues the script. And I think in this case, because there's such a loud, passionate fan base, mm-hmm. I think he sees himself. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not speaking for him, but I, sure. I, in my opinion, I think he sees himself. And it's as all on of, the disc. I think he sees himself as kind of a fan ambassador to some degree. I mean, okay. he even says in the, in the documentary um, that he's almost like the foreman of the jury. And he says that if, if, you know, you're all hearing the evidence. Everyone on the team is hearing the evidence. Ridley's the judge, but he's the, but, but Lindelof's the foreman of the jury. And if it can get by him, if it kind of passes muster with him, right. then it's probably okay to go into this alien installment, you right. know? Right. Um, and I've completely butchered how he would have said it, but like that's, that's the, well, the how gist he of what does he does say it. it. Yeah. So interested parties will just go listen to your. Right. Um, but I, but I also, I kind of feel like, disc. you know, um, you know, Ridley is wants to tell his story and he wants to make his film and it's it's almost independent of it being an alien film or not. It's just right. he's making Prometheus. Which is what's great he's about it. He's not making Alien Zero. It's you what's know? great about it. And and, and it's that's the third great Ridley Scott science fiction movie. Well it's wholly original. There's only three. <laughs> but but it's my point is Yeah, it's 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 not a prequel. Right. It's not it's a it's its own thing. Right. Um his agent lives down the street from us, as you know. We we see him very often coming yep. and going here. And the last time I saw him before the movie came out, I said to him, it's like, and they're not going to release that movie with the word alien in the title. There's not some big, because this was maybe three months off from release. So it's like, there's not going to be some panic over, you know, when it comes on tracking awareness, people don't understand that Prometheus is actually set in the alien universe. And uh, this guy said to me, it's like, this is, he did say, it's going to defy a lot of people's expectations. He was already keyed into that, obviously. But he also said, it's like, no, this is a, this is a wholly original um, science fiction movie with its, with its own integrity that is not dependent, that uh, is not dependent in any way on the existence of another movie or not dependent in relating to the existence of another movie. Right. It's a great, it's a master, it's a masterpiece. I feel it's a masterpiece. Well, I mean, I'm, so, I'm I'm glad you've connected with it so totally deeply. Do. You know, um, Bill Condon does too. So go, that that's for the Twihard fan base, right? We'll all now hopefully go rent or buy Prometheus. Yeah, are they old enough? Most of check them? it up. I guess you'd they, be surprised. Yeah, dude. that's right. Yeah. yeah, you'd be surprised. Yeah, there's a wide spectrum. Totally. So, um, dude, we'll have to have you on next time to discuss <laughs> the reception to all of the DVD documentary and materials, <laughs> which will be the next step in the cultural penetration of Prometheus. You know, I, I got to say, it's like I've I've worked on some really big discs, and this one to me is the one... It, it's been a while since I've been this proud of a disc. I mean, certainly since right. Blade Runner and, and Twin It Beast, is amazing. But, but, I mean, just that we were able to pull it off, especially in this climate of, yeah. like, you know, reining it in, holding, holding it back. Sure. Um, it's, a, it's an incredibly elaborate... And and, it's, and it rich experience. It's, it's a rich experience. It's not just like hours and hours of crap. I mean, it really is yeah. like a, a, a Dude, very it immersive is, experience. It is. It is exactly what this movie deserves. I, you have matched this movie in terms of your approach. Well, thank you. To that end, the one thing, one thought I've had is as we're sitting here talking is that Cohen, this is for you. You have to get this right. The title should actually title of this episode should actually be furious gods of prometheus because we need your material in there yeah somehow and you are one of the furious gods as is lindelof as is obviously obviously ridley ridley um, is the furious god ridley is the furious god but it, it does need to be furious gods of prometheus um 
Anyway, dude, thanks for taking the time. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the crazy scheduling stuff. You're yeah. about to go off on Crave Tour 2012. Yeah. And, and gone um, forever I'm a month. about to go scuba diving in Catalina for the weekend. So. Great. Well, um, that sounds equally fun. Well, it'll be interesting <laughs> as long as I don't get... You know, it's where, when... Have you done any scuba? I've done snorkeling at Catalina. I've, I've not okay. scuba. No. When you're sitting there with your BCD inflated at the surface... As I said to the other guys, this is when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never wear you a life jacket tug, again. You feel the tug on your leg and then the, the warmth right? that is not your own urine. So anyway, dude, thanks so much. And um, this will air at some future date. We'll pimp the shit out of it when it does. And um, Once Fox approves. Yeah, exactly. Go um, watch this movie first, Cohen, and then drill down courtesy of Charlie De Los Rica. Guess that's it. Uh, Charlie, you're on Twitter? Uh, barely. Barely. At, at Not worth but, mentioning. But, 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 you know, if you check out anything, check out facebook.com slash crave the film. I would exactly. appreciate that. Facebook.com slash crave, the, crave film. the film. Crave is with a C, folks. It's Unlike the, the nightclub in Las Vegas. Cohen at Camel Toad. Sure, but who even knows if I'll be alive when this comes out? And there will be no documentary yeah, about they, you. Your podcast will stand. Yeah, I have hundreds, David will be listening to your podcasts uh, yeah. before he wakes up the crew of the premiere. That'd be awesome. Exactly. On Twitter, uh, at team underscore Jack, at Jack underscore Morrissey, teamjack.com, where you can find episode guides for each of the podcasts. We're on Pinterest and Tumblr. Uh, we're other places too. We're on Facebook, like us on Facebook. Anyway, I think that's it. We're out. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>